Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Today we continue our series on healing from grief. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries, and we're airing some very special presentations that Dr. Jennings shared at the Chapel Oaks Seventh-day Adventist Church in Shawnee, Kansas, not too long ago. We all have experienced loss of a beloved family member, friend, co-worker, or neighbor. We've all felt that often overpowering sense of sadness that can accompany such a loss, and we may have wondered how best to handle those situations. Well, Dr. Jennings has some practical guidance in this matter, and he has been sharing his insights in this series. Last time, we learned that in the face of powerful grief, we need to, in his words, stand our ground and not run from sorrow. As a matter of fact, Dr. Jennings suggests accommodating it, leaning into it, letting it wash over us in a controlled and even carefully scheduled environment. That was step one. Now we continue that journey of healing with more real-world ways to face our grief and survive. Step one, stand our ground. Here's Dr. Jennings with what we might want to do next. Step two, be truthful. Seek the truth. Don't let feelings determine your beliefs. Be truthful. Truth about ourselves, about our condition. This was one of Jessica's problems. She felt guilty that her husband was dead rather than grief-stricken. And guilt is a way of our minds unconsciously trying to take responsibility to fix it. You see, on some level, you understand if somebody has died, the only person that you really can control completely is yourself. And when you've had somebody die and you want to undo it, you realize the only person you can change is you, so the mind unconsciously will try to point out or figure out something you did wrong. So that if you change that thing in you, then you can undo what happened to them. And so you'll start feeling guilty. I should have woken up. If I would have woken up, I could have seen he was, I could have done CPR. See, I can fix that. Now I can have him back. So oftentimes in a grief state, rather than experiencing grief, we experience guilt. And it's inappropriate guilt because it's our mind's way of trying to undo the loss. We need to be truthful, truthful about ourselves, truthful about our situation. We need to be truthful about God. Don't let fear and insecurity dominate our view of God. I can't tell you how many people who have lost someone think bad things about God. Why did God want my child to die? Why did God kill my husband? Why did God want me to lose this job? Why did God want my child born with this brain defect? Have you heard these things? Lies about God. That God. Why did God want me to be molested by my babysitter? Why did God do that to me? Why did He permit it? Why did God? We must be truthful about God. God is our friend. He's on our side. He's always there to help. We must be truthful about our situation, that we are never alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you have this perspective, when you can see things from from the godly perspective, keeping Jesus in mind, you will remember there is always more people on your side than whoever stands against you. Even when you stand like Martin Luther, apparently singly and alone, or let's take another example from the Bible, Elisha and the armies of Syria come gathering around and the servant was all freaking out 
And Elisha says to the servant, hey, there's more for us than for them. Remember? He says, open your eyes. What do you see? Chariots of fire all around. What's it say in Daniel? How many people are gathered around Christ's throne there in Daniel chapter 7? 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Do you know why it says 10,000 times 10,000? That's the highest number in Hebrew. 10,000 times 10,000. It's the biggest number they had at the time. And thousands of thousands. So 10,000 times 10,000, how many? Is that a million? Yeah, it's a million. And thousands of thousands. So we're talking hundreds of millions uh, in heaven and more. And that's just the angels around Christ's throne. And beyond that, all the intelligent worlds. You understand, all those angels are ministering spirits on your side. God's Holy Spirit, God's Son, God Himself, all the intelligent beings on all the other planets in the universe, all are on your side. The only people that might be against you would be on this planet. We're on God's side, we're in the majority here. Remember, you're never alone. Perspective makes a difference as well. The truth about the facts. If divorced, many of my patients are tempted to feel like they are a failure because the relationship failed. That they are a failure. Personally, I failed. I failed. The marriage may have failed, but that doesn't mean you as a person are a failure. I'm going to tell you, what will determine whether your life is a failure or not is nothing that has happened thus far in your life. What determines whether your life is a failure or not is what happens from this point forward. Nothing of the past will determine whether your life's a failure. From this point forward determines whether your life is a failure or not. We must be truthful. The truth sets free. This requires the use of our reason and the investigation of the evidence and choosing with our will to apply the truth in spite of how we feel. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Enlarge your perspective. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'll let you draw your own conclusions. A friend of mine grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in the 1950s. Upper Peninsula of Michigan, 1950s, very rural. It was a farmland, and he grew up on a farm. There was no helicopter 911, uh, life force type stuff going on. Uh, it was very, very rural. He says they had a neighbor, and their neighbor had a child who was an unruly child, a rebellious child, a disobedient child, constantly in trouble child, about six years of age. And that child was instructed repeatedly by the parents to never, never play around the heavy farm equipment. One day, my friend was out working in their farm, and they got the word that this child had been severely injured playing around the farm equipment. There was no life force to call. There was no 911. So the neighbors did what only thing they knew to do. They called all the neighbors, asked them to hurry and come, kneel down and pray around this boy that God would heal this child. My friend was in that prayer circle. He tells that he remembers they were holding hands in that prayer circle. And as they prayed, that we go around the circle and they pray, Lord, we know that you are the creator of life and we know that you have the power to heal this child. Lord, if it be your will, restore this child to health. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. As they went around the circle, thy will, thy will, thy will, thy will be done. Until they came to the mother. And the mother said, God, I don't care what your will is. If you don't heal my son, I'll never speak to you again. I will tell you what happened. You can draw your conclusions. The child survived. He lived. And he grew up to be a bane on that family. Constantly in trouble. Constantly into vandalism, into violence, into, into truancy, into drugs, into alcohol, stealing from his parents, stealing from the neighbors, in and out of jail. A constant bane on his family. Those are the facts. Those are the facts of what happened. Now, 
Did God injure this boy? Or did this boy get injured because he was an unruly and rebellious child and didn't listen to instructions? His own actions injured himself. Now, is it possible that those injuries were sufficient that they might have resulted in the child's death? God knows a large perspective. That's our point, in large perspective. God knows the character, the nature of this child. God has the power to heal. God has the power to not act. If the mother would have trusted the, the situation to God's hand, might God have been willing to, if it was in fact his hand that saved the child, restrain his hand and not act at all and let the child go to its rest and save that family years of misery? On the other hand, God loved that mother so much that he didn't want to lose contact with her. And he was willing to intervene and save that child's life. I don't know whether God intervened in that situation or he just wasn't that, that seriously ill. But the story gives us opportunity to consider possibilities, doesn't it? And wouldn't it be interesting if that mother could have trusted God with outcomes? Outcomes that we don't know? Larger perspective. I had a man, a patient, who was dying of esophageal cancer. He was in his 30s. He had two children in elementary school. And when he was initially diagnosed, he was initially tempted with feelings of discouragement, despair, and depression. But he quickly wrestled those out with God and put his life in God's hands. And through the rest of his treatment course, he had a cheerful and upbeat attitude. He, would, he, would, he really was a happy guy. And he witnessed to God wherever he went. And it was through this time that he saw two of his siblings who had left God and left the church come back and give their hearts to God and be rebaptized because of what they saw in his life. And he told me before he died, he is dead. He told me before he died, he said, if God needed me to go through this as a way of reaching my brother and sister for the kingdom so that we can be together for eternity, I'm glad to do it. We have to enlarge our perspective. We must enlarge our perspective. This requires that we reason beyond our feelings. We examine evidences, including biblical evidences. And we come to know God well enough to know without doubt that He is always on our side. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Step four, move on and say goodbye. Move on and say goodbye. When we lose something, someone, some ability, we feel like life will never be the same. And we're tempted to sit down in the middle of the road of life and say to ourselves in some emotional way inside our hearts, I quit. I'm not going on until you can go with me. I had a 43-year-old lady come to see me who had a child die 10 years before coming to see me. And for the last 10 years, her day consisted, day in, day out, almost every day of her life consisted of getting up in the morning, going into that child's room, grabbing that child's teddy bear, curling up on that child's bed and crying every day for the last 10 years. She had two other children. She didn't go to their plays, didn't go to their ball games, didn't go to their activities. She cried every day for the last 10 years for the child who died. I want you to imagine walking in a national forest like up in Alaska or Montana or someplace like that. Really large national forest. There's no radio. There's no 911. There's no cell phone coverage. And you're walking with your loved one and your significant other has a heart attack and dies in the middle of that forest. You can't carry them out. It's miles to go. Now, what would you do? You might and probably would sit down with them for a while and you would cry and you would hold them. But at some point... You have to decide. You either get up and go on without them, or you lay down and die there with them. In this world, when we lose people, 
we're tempted to sit down emotionally in the road of life with the dead one rather than getting up and going on without them. But Christ said we must let the dead bury the dead. And many people lose physical health, have physical disabilities, can't do what they used to do. They feel like their life is a burden, feel like they don't have any worth anymore. They go through the motions of life, but their heart is no longer in it. We must say goodbye and move on. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul speaking, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's understanding the truth from God's perspective that lets us realize it's by going on, it's by letting go, it's by saying goodbye and moving forward that we will get to see our loved ones again. It is by going on that we take the the ministry, take the message to the world. And when my father died, I was tempted to sit down on the road of life and quit. But I realized that if we Christians would do our job and take the gospel, the kingdom of the world, that Christ would come and we could be with our loved ones sooner. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Step four, move on and say goodbye. Wow. Powerful, meaningful guidance from Dr. Tim Jennings, Christian psychiatrist and author. We will conclude this series on healing from grief on our next program. Until then, we invite you to stop by comeandreason.com for a rather impressive list of resources, books, videos, podcasts, etc., designed from the ground up to help you deal with all that life throws at you. That's at comeandreason.com. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.